0: BestBookBids.com brings you the book summary of Atlas of the Heart, Mapping Meaningful Connection and the Language of Human Experience by Brene Brown. In Atlas of the Heart, Brown takes us on a journey through 87 of the emotions and experiences that define what it means to be human. As she maps the necessary skills and an actionable framework for meaningful connection, she gives us the language and tools to access a universe of new choices and second chances. A universe where we can share and steward the stories of our bravest and most heartbreaking moments with one another in a way that builds connection. Over the past two decades, Brown's extensive research into the experiences that make us who we are have shaped the cultural conversation and helped define what it means to be courageous with our lives. Atlas of the Heart draws on this research as well as on Brown's singular skill as a storyteller. To show us how accurately naming an experience doesn't give the experience more power. It gives us the power of understanding, meaning, and choice. Brown shares, I want this book to be an atlas for all of us, because I believe that, with an adventurous heart and the right maps, we can travel anywhere and never fear losing ourselves. On with the book summary. Places we go when things are uncertain or too much. Vulnerability is the emotion that we experience during times of uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. In a world where perfectionism, pleasing, and proving are used as armor to protect our ego and our feelings, it takes a lot of courage to show up and be all in when we can't control the outcome. It also takes discipline and self-awareness to understand what to share and with whom. Vulnerability is not oversharing. It's sharing with people who have earned the right to hear our stories and our experiences. Vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage. Places we go when we compare. Comparison says be like everyone else, but better. At first it might seem that conforming and competing are mutually exclusive, but they're not. When we compare ourselves with others, we are ranking around a specific collection of alike things, We may compare things like how we parent with families who have totally different values or traditions from ours. But the comparisons that get us really rolled up are the ones we make with the folks living next door. When we compare, we want to be the best or have the best of our group. The comparison mandate becomes this crushing paradox of fit in and stand out. It's not be yourself and respect others for being authentic. It's fit in but when the good news is that we get to choose how we're going to let it affect us. If we don't want this constant automatic ranking to negatively shape our lives, our relationships, and our future, we need to stay aware enough to know when it's happening and what emotions it's driving. Places we go when things don't go as planned. Disappointment is unmet expectations. Disappointment is unmet expectations. The more significant the expectations, the more significant the disappointment. Every day, sometimes every hour, we are consciously and unconsciously setting expectations of ourselves and the people in our lives, especially those closest to us. The unconscious, unexamined, and unexpressed expectations are the most dangerous and often turn into disappointment. When the picture or movie fails to play out in real life, we feel disappointed. And sometimes that disappointment is severe and brings shame and hurt and anger with it. It's a setup for us and not the people involved. Disappointment takes a toll on us and our relationships. It requires considerable emotional bandwidth. There are too many people in the world today who decide to live disappointed rather than risk feeling disappointed. Disappointments may be like paper cuts if those cuts are deep enough or if we accumulate them over a lifetime they can leave us seriously wounded yes it takes courage to reality check communicate and dig into the intentions behind our expectations but exercise in vulnerability helps us maintain meaningful connection with ourselves and others places we go when we're hurting we need hope like we need air to live without hope is to risk suffocating on hopelessness and despair. Risk being crushed by the belief that there is no way out of what he's holding us back, no way to get to what we desperately need. But hope is not what most of us think it is. It's not a warm, fuzzy emotion that fills us up with a sense of possibility. Hope is a way of thinking, a cognitive process. Yes, emotions play a role. But hope is made up of what researchers C.R. Snyder called a trilogy of goals pathways, and agency, a trilogy of goals, pathways, and agency. Hope is a function of struggle. We develop hope not during the easy or comfortable times, but through adversity and discomfort. Hope is forged when our goals, pathways, and agency are tested and when change is actually possible. It's also important to know that hope is learned. According to Schneider, children most often learn the habit of hope from their parents. To learn hopefulness, children need relationships that are characterized by boundaries, consistency and support. Children with higher levels of hopefulness have experience with adversity. They've been given the opportunity to struggle and in doing, they learn how to believe in themselves and their abilities. Places we go with others. What's the most effective way to be in connection with and in service to someone who is struggling without taking on their issues as their own. Compassion is the daily practice in recognizing and accepting our shared humanity so that we can treat ourselves and others with loving kindness and we take action in the face of suffering. A very similar definition can be found in the research literature. Compassion is a virtuous response that seeks to address the suffering and the needs of a person through relational understanding and action. What the majority of definitions share, including these, is that compassion includes action. Compassion includes action. It's not just a feeling, it's doing. Compassion is fueled by understanding and accepting that we're all made of strength and struggle. We're all made of strength and struggle. No one is immune to pain or suffering. Compassion is not a practice of better than or I can fix you. It's a practice based in the beauty and pain of shared humanity. In her book, The Places That Scare You, the American Buddhist Pema writes, When we practice generating compassion, we can expect to experience our fear of pain. Compassion practice is daring. It involves learning to relax and allow ourselves to move gently toward what scares us. In cultivating compassion, we draw from the wholeness of our experience, our suffering, our empathy, as well as our cruelty and terror it has to be this way compassion is not a relationship between the healer and the wounded it's a relationship between equals only when we know our own darkness well can we be present with the darkness of others compassion becomes real when we recognize our shared humanity places we go when the heart is open we cultivate love when we allow our most vulnerable and powerful selves to be deeply seen and known And when we honor the spiritual connection that grows from that offering, we trust, respect, kindness, and affection. Love is not something we give or get. It is something that we can nurture and grow. A connection that can be cultivated between two people only when it exists within each of them. We can love others only as much as we love ourselves. Shame, blame, disrespect... Betrayal and the withholding of affection damage the roots from which love grows. Love can survive these injuries only if they're acknowledged, healed and rare. We need more love between us, but also among us. Not rainbow and unicorn love or commercialized love. We need more real love. Gritty, dangerous, wild-eyed, justice-seeking love. Places we go when we feel wronged. If you look across the research, you learn that anger is an emotion that we feel when something gets in the way of a desired outcome or when we believe there's a violation of the way things should be. When we feel anger, we believe that someone or something else is to blame for an unfair or unjust situation, and that something can be done to resolve the problem. Anger is a catalyst. Holding on to it will make us exhausted and sick internalizing anger will take away our joy and spirit. Externalizing anger will make us less effective in our attempts to create change and forge connection. It's an emotion that we need to transform into something life-giving. Courage, love, change, compassion, justice. Or sometimes anger can mask a far more difficult emotion like grief, regret, or shame, and we need to use it to dig into what we really feel in. Either way, anger is a powerful catalyst, but a life-sucking companion. Anger in response to experiencing or witnessing injustice, pain and struggle can be powerful catalyst for change, but by definition, a catalyst sparks change, it's not the change. Places we go to self-assess. Humility is openness to new learning combined with a balanced and accurate assessment of our contributions, including our strengths imperfections, and opportunities for growth. What humanity isn't downplaying yourself or your accomplishments, which according to researchers is modesty, not humility. It's also not low self-esteem or meekness or letting people walk all over you. The emotion of humility involves understanding our contributions in context, in context, in relation to both the contributions of others and our own place in the universe. It's different from pride in that we feel pride. We focus entirely on the positive aspects of a specific accomplishment, which can still be healthy and productive. The term intellectual humility refers specifically to a willingness to consider information that doesn't fit with our current thinking. People who demonstrate intellectual humility don't lack confidence or conviction. They may hold strong views, but they're also open to hearing other points of view. They're curious and willing to adjust their beliefs when faced with new or conflicting information. Humility allows us to admit when we are wrong. We realize that getting it right is more important than needing to prove that we are right. Pride can be good for us, hubris is dangerous, and humility is key to be grounded in confidence and healthy relationships. And that's a wrap on this book by Brené Brown, Atlas of the Heart. Comment on what you think. Like this video, let me know your thoughts. And if you want this summary in PDF format... Click the link below to grab your PDF copy. We're on track to do 1,000 book summaries. Uh, We also have got a podcast show where we interview authors, so check that out as well. If you want to connect with me personally for anything like coaching, consulting, or anything at all, I can help. Click the link below, and let's jump on a free 15-minute chat to get to know each other. Thanks for watching and listening. Have yourself an amazing day. Go out there and live from the heart. Take care. Bye-bye now.